and then, and then it would have and changed. Then, yeah, when we... there's some Ellis Island shenanigans when we came over. Yeah, I guess. Shenanigans yeah, is a good word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, all our names got changed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hi, welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Lisa Gilchrist. And I'm Samuel Richards. And we are off the beaten path today with Eric Dornhafer. Thanks for and having me. Today, we just kind of want to give you a little bit of space and opportunity to share a little bit about your story. I am a personal trainer and gym owner here in Hilliard, Ohio. My main support mm-hmm. actually played into where I ended up today with sports. I mean, friendships and sports. I was playing something on some team since I can remember. So a lot of my support and community was with people my own age and, you know, usually through athletics and stuff like that. But, um, a lot of external like outsourcing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was never to this day, there's not ever really a moment where I can trace back to or uh, where I felt like there wasn't immense amounts of support from the family. But we had two, I had two very career driven parents who were living in two separate states. So, um, you know, for a lot of my childhood before, certainly before I could drive, um, my mother was still teaching full time, which meant that in terms of getting myself to school, it was on me. My elementary school was just Mm -hmm. down the road. So I had to get my stuff together and ride the bike down. Uh, Liz, my sister did the same. And then uh, when it came to sporting events, you know, my mom again was working at a college. So she had access to all of these college kids who were more than happy to Hmm. essentially be nannies and chauffeurs for one of the professors and her kids. So a lot of my soccer practices and stuff or what a track I was dropped off by a college student who would, you know, make sure that Liz and I were fed after school and got to where we needed to go. And by the time I came home from practice, usually mom was mom was back. So mm-hmm. we had some some additional support. You had mentioned, um, I think, in just sharing a little bit of your journey and the ins and outs, kind of this concept of really having to f- find out how to fit in or belong. And I know that humanity, we all have that sense of like, this is some of the purpose of my life is to figure out like I have somewhere to belong. I have somewhere where I fit and how that can be so integral to how we are in the world and how we relate to other people. So mentioning like the year after, I think it was um, Stockholm, Mm -hmm. um, freshman year of high school and then kind of transitioning back. So I would just be curious to hear that piece of that journey and how you, how you sought after finding in independence. When it came to moving around, even just within the United States, let alone internationally, um, one of the things that I realized quickly was to be, to have a bit of a outgoing and sort of, I guess for lack of a better term, big personality. It, mm. you, you people then are a little more drawn to you and it becomes much easier to find friendships and that external support. Um, it, in terms of the, you know, international component, you know, going to Sweden and then coming back, um, we were at an international school, Mm -hmm. so that was actually a relatively easy transition. Um, especially for me, 
uh, the Swedish school system, their middle school goes till ninth grade. So I went from being top dog in the middle school in the U.S. to being top dog in Sweden. So I never had like an awkward, who am I finding myself freshman year like a lot of people go through. Um, Would have been different for your sister. And it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, her, she just transitioned to the normal next next grade. Um, but again, moving to Stockholm, I think one of the things that may have helped, certainly me, and I think Liz as well, is um, we were the only Americans in the international school. And, um, wow. and the, at least within Sweden, um, they are very interested in the American lifestyle. Um, I had a lot of really funny questions about school and life in, in the U.S. because a lot of these kids, as far as they know, it's based off of television and movies. So I got funny questions like, <laughs> you know, do the football players really rule the school? And, you know, are, are, how often do kids really get put in lockers? And I was like, I, at least at my school, Never, you know, yeah. that, that's, right. just like, oh, that yeah, happens. <laughs> exactly. Uh, do you all really have sports cars and, and crazy house parties? It's like, no, <laughs> at least not where I'm straight. from. Yeah. At least not where I'm from. No. Um, so integrating into the international community wasn't actually that hard, especially for someone who had spent several years developing this outgoing and somewhat bigger personality. I mean, I was happy to chat and talk to people about their questions and steer them in the right order. But they pretty much came to me because I was, I was the American kid, you know? And at the time I, I had quite the look going on. I had sort of the shaggy skater hair and <laughs> you know, the whole thing. So I, I, I would, I already stuck out a little bit socially, um, but not necessarily in a negative way. I mean, it was more, it seemed to me, it, I perceived it as people were a little bit more intrigued by it. Um, the really interesting thing was on the return. I was shocked when I came back. Almost nobody asked about living in another country because I think it was so outside their scope and their realm. Wow. Now, I, I jumped back in to my usual social life pretty quickly um, when I came back from Sweden. But yeah, I mean, very little actual conversations when I returned. How do you think that that global experience impacts your like view now? Oh, it's made a huge difference. It's made a huge difference. Um, I think a lot of it is because of the country that I ended up in, in you know, in, in Sweden. Um, it certainly has a huge impact on who I am today and what I'm doing uh, with my fitness studio because um, Scandinavia is always top ranked for healthy nations happy people. Um, Sweden is the, last I checked, is the second rated country for coming up with new innovative techniques for physical therapy, only behind Australia. Um, so they get health and wellness. I mean, mm -hmm. it is an in, a serious, serious part of their daily life. Um, and so being able to be there and live it and see it totally changed my viewpoints about how this should be incorporated. Little things like, um, uh, I, this, I loved this in Sweden. I don't know if this is still true, but at the time 
there was such an emphasis on creating um, or allowing kids to go out and be social and or spend quality time with their family that there was a law against how much homework teachers oh, could cool. give yeah. because yeah. they didn't want the kids spending hours and hours and hours not speaking with adults, going out into the city, being active. Building community. Building community. So there was a limit. I mean, there was a, uh, the country had a limit on how much work could be done outside of school. And how limits actually can be healthy. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's pretty awesome. That's like emphasizing the cooler part of um, life, your relationships rather than your homework. I know a lot of kids now are so overwhelmed. Tests and and GPAs. I mean, what are they at, 5.0s now? Yeah, seriously. Uh, one, I mean, so the the Swedes actually have something a lot of people have heard of uh, in in I think it's it's certainly in Hispanic culture and maybe some other South American cultures, um, uh, siesta, which yes. is this sort of midday oh, break, awesome. right? Um, midday, it's nap. worth it. Everything closes. So the Swedes have something like that, mm. and it's called fika, and okay. fika in Swedish essentially means to slow down, and mm. you take fika at least one, sometimes twice a day, and it is just a time where you're supposed to put all of your stuff down and go have tea and coffee with people. That is the yeah. whole point. I love that. It's 20 minutes, you know, nothing big. But, I mean, it is, it is, and the country takes it seriously. I mean, they schedule meetings around it. Like, That's well, we can't cool. do this meeting now because what about Fika? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so they remind each other and hold yeah. each other accountable yeah. to this idea of, we have the skill set to be able to slow down and still get things accomplished during the day. Yeah. You know, kind of bring it back a little bit to, to the mental health, but just this idea of we've, we have this place to go, then we have this next, and then we have to do this. And we think that we're just, you know, doing this next thing. And sometimes the next thing is stepping back. Yeah. And- so, yeah, let's use that to transition to kind of like a mental health, um, mixing it in with like fitness and what you do now. Sure. So uh, we do take into consideration uh, things like mental health um, when we look at our our clients and how we've established the studio. Um, the studio, based off of some of the principles and things that we learned that I learned while being in in Scandinavia, um, we approach health and wellness in a very holistic way. So we understand that fitness is important but it's only one piece of the larger puzzle. I mean, you need to have other very serious major key components to this. You need to have physical fitness and health, nutrition. Uh, You need, this is one of the most overlooked things that we see and it greatly affects both mental and physical health is recovery. Hmm. Recovery is almost always neglected and recovery can be, and should be both mental and physical. Um, so we try to incorporate a little bit of all of that into our system at, over at our studio. Yeah. So um, I think a little bit off air uh, before we start, I was sharing something with you that I had read. And I know that we've talked a little bit, you know, about emotion on other podcasts and just this idea of movement and how that, you know, fits in. And so again, just from Kurt Thompson, just 
he said something and it really just stood out to me in my brain. I thought, I need to remember this. Um, He says, when we examine human behavior, we find that if we take emotion out of the equation, we stop moving. The derivation of the word emotion includes its Latin root a motion, which means just to precede movement. And this suggests that whatever emotion is, it energizes and gives rise to human movement. From the time we were born, emotion is a primary driving force of our existence. If attention is the ignition key of the mind, then emotion is the fuel in the tank the engine runs on. And so you're mentioning this idea of rest and recovery and knowing that a lot of people that come into your space have a lot going on in their day and throughout their weeks and building off of you know time for work and time for you and time for rest and and how that just builds on itself. Yeah, we, we encourage everyone when they come in, um, we understand that for a lot of people, exercise is a way for them to relieve stress. And um, we think that's really important. Um, there are occasions that we have to try and monitor a little bit where, um, for, for example, exercising to alleviate stress is a good thing. Exercising to vent frustration or anger can be productive, but also can be destructive. Um, so we have to pay attention to things like that. We just don't want, uh, we don't want someone to come in and work out angry because when you do that, you have a higher likelihood of injury. Hmm. There's a chance that you're, you're all fired up and you grab the extra heavy dumbbell because you're feeling Fired Adrenaline's up. Going. Adrenaline's going. Yeah. And it, that's maybe not an appropriate thing to do. And and so we we haven't, I know that it happens. And happened to me about maybe two weeks ago. We did have a little chat yeah. before you exercised. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yep. So, um, but no. I, it, was the, really, it was really helpful. I'm glad. It was really helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that it's important for people to find ways to, to vent or to alleviate stress. And if you can do it in a productive manner, doing something like exercise that already you sort of get this feeling of accomplishment anyway, when you get done, you've physically pushed yourself. Um, You may be tired, but you completed something that you would sort of inherently know is good for you. There's a good feeling that comes from that. Um, And sometimes, you know, just being able to accomplish something in a day. You have a day where... It just feels like everyone is throwing rocks through your windows, mm. you know, and you have one thing where that you can go in and you can, and you can begin a process, work hard at it, feel benefits from it, and then close it out. Sometimes that goes a long, long way. Just having something that was successful and accomplished in a day can mean the world to some people. Yeah. I think a lot of things, too, with how society is run on a global scale, mm-hmm. how you can't control a lot. So being able to control something and to just be able to say, I can work on myself, I think is really healthy, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it just it gave me pockets of being in both worlds and sitting with some emotion during the rest periods and then going back into the exercise set that I was on that I knew 
what to do and I knew how to be there. So it was really interesting for me to kind of watch my own self build in that capacity to sit with my anger on that day and accomplish something in a healthy way. It's almost like a form of meditation in a way. (laughs) Uh Yeah, absolutely. Flexing like a focus muscle as well as a um, physical one. Yeah. And, and just like meditation, I mean, with a proper training and with some experience, you can get lost in physical exercise. I mean, you hear about things like a runner's high, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or for some people, it comes a little more naturally than others. Uh, some people have to practice just like in meditation. Um, but feeling, making a very deep connection to th- with the mind and the body and the mind and muscles, you can get lost in. It's one of the things that my, for myself, it's one of the things that I enjoy the most about physical exercise is when I go to do a movement and I know what muscles should be working, really focusing on feeling that sensation, Mm -hmm. feeling the muscles stretch and then tighten up and flex and feel the weight and feel the movement. It's it, it for me, it's, it's almost addicting. I mean, it's very fun to be able to feel your, this amazing Mm -hmm. machine that we have doing what it's supposed to do and being able to sort of test it is, is really, honestly, it's pretty fun. Yeah. So what I'm understanding is your increased ability to be in that present moment and like sit with things in your body that oftentimes when we're in the midst of the crazy that we don't attune to or we yeah. don't attention to and maybe the people around us are not as attentive or attuning to, you know, maybe I think you've done a few too many what does that feel like? Can we come back to just this movement instead of adding all this weight? Can we just do the movement and just notice that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely, I ride bikes a lot. And so just zoning into that movement mm. really speaks to me too. Um, definitely. You can totally get lost in it. And I think that your brain kind of processes in, in the background. Like sometimes I feel mm. like I do a lot of like good that. thinking on a bike. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Yeah. So I was curious about the recovery part. So you said um, that you really like to focus on recovery. What does good recovery look like and how do you accomplish it? Yeah, it. I think it depends a little bit on the person and it also depends a little bit on what we're recovering from. So in my realm, um, when you're recovering from physical exercise, um, it could be a number of things. Uh, depending on the person and the exercise routine that they were doing, um, just taking a day off oftentimes is actually really beneficial. Um, For some people, it may be something as simple as uh, what we call active recovery, which is just low, low impact, very easy to do movement. So it may be a little bit of a yoga session done in your house following a guided video or just going out. The one that I always recommend to people because it has a ton of benefits is just go, if it's nice out, go outside and walk. Bonus points if you can keep your phone in your pocket the whole time. But I mean, just being outside. It's impossible. It's imp- I know it. these days. I want like those said, bonus yeah, points. Yeah, like I said, bonus points for sure. But uh, walking 
It could be as simple as that. Um, just I think one movement. of the, yeah, just movement. One of the other key things that especially I think in our culture gets overlooked is the importance of real sleep, not the sort of, you know, I'll grab a couple hours here and then try and pass out later or this idea of, you know, we've, we've sort of, I don't know why this has happened, but it's become a little bit of this bragging point in our culture mm-hmm. of, well, I can, I, I can get through an entire day on three hours of sleep. That's bad. That's not good. That's Definitely. not something that you should be proud of. What you should be proud of is that you found a life balance that allows you to sleep for a full like seven hours. I mean, for years, we've been hearing from health organizations that you should be aiming for seven to eight hours of sleep. And I don't Even know about- more if you're a teenager. Yeah, and I don't know about you two, but I know maybe I can count the people that I know who actually get that much sleep on both my hands. I'd have to really think about it, but I don't, I mean, I don't know almost anyone that gets, I I get, I, I strive for seven hours of sleep a night. And that means that for me, sometimes we know some occasionally I have a client that starts their workout at five 30 AM. It just means that I have to be a big boy and say, okay, I, that means I have to go to bed at nine. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know? Yeah. So even this idea of like, recognizing they're not getting restorative sleep. And I, I think of the, the name of your place and renewed and just feeling like renewed every day. Um, and that's the sleep, number one, that's going to allow us to process the day before, you know, learning about how nutrition helps you go through that and carries you through till the morning to be able to do the next day and to be present to that. And, it sounds like we're really missing out as a society of what what could it look like if we were all restored sleepers. Absolutely. I mean, one of the other issues you run into is um, with with this tendency to undersleep, uh, it creates this cascade of other problems. I mean, we know from research that the body composition, so the amount of muscle mass to fat percentage is always favorable in people who can get seven to eight hours of sleep because your body has time Mm. to slow down and really process the food and everything that you've consumed throughout the day, really fully digest it and use it to its, to its, uh, its, its biggest extent. Not only that, I mean, not only do you have that, but things like waking up and feeling unrested and then having to force yourself through a day causes stress. Mm. Undersleeping is a huge problem, for, especially if you have a stressful job or something like that. And um, it's stress management is just as important as all of these other components. I mean, people who are frequently stressed out, um, it, it it's totally, totally draining. Yeah, I I do. I see that a lot. And I also wanted to add in the piece of, oh, alcohol is really bad for your sleep. Even mm-hmm. if you have one drink, then it's pretty bad. But um, both as I encourage everyone to get enough sleep and to de-stress their lives, because I'm, I'm somebody who also needs eight hours to sleep just to function. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also, not to continuously point towards society and this profit-run society, but I think that has a big impact on sleep is the last 
minute priority. Like that's, mm. that's not something you rely on. You rely on like productivity. You rely on, if you have a 40 hour a week job, well, that doesn't exist. <laughs> 50 or 60 right. an hour a week right. job. Right. And so, right. um, you're, you're kind of trapped in that. And, um, both as we needed to make it a priority, but also I think push for more life balance yeah. lifestyles because it isn't sustainable no. right. to mm-hmm. go to bed at 11, wake up at six so you can drive an hour to work and mm. it doesn't work. No. So yeah. I'm throwing out a reference, right? It's this idea of like, I'm trying to rob Peter just to pay Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's not really fixing the need. The need. Yeah. That we have. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just a, a want. This is a need that we have as people. And something too, like I feel like our schools don't teach enough about lifestyle and about just how to live. It's all about these subjects, about how far you can advance. Mm-hmm. Are you going to go into the advanced math class throughout all of high school and go to be an engineer? Or there's no focus on mental health. On there's like gym class, but what we did in gym class was play like thirty people games. <laughs> right, <laughs> you can't just yeah. do that as an adult. Like right. it, was, it was fun. Yeah, yeah, but. So I think that it's it's a lot of things that we need to change. But I'm glad that there are conversations about it and that we're continuously talking about it. Yeah. I did also want to talk about food and how food connects to good mental health and physical health. Um, I was going through Kroger and trying to buy some nice bread and all of them have so many preservatives in it. It drives me crazy. Yeah. So what do you, what do you talk about when you talk holistic change? Yeah. What do you talk about with a food piece? Well, a food is another big one, um, that actually plays in nicely to, um, the recovery topic. Um, it has been truly shocking for me as a trainer to see how frequently people are under eating. And I know that sounds really weird these days because everyone's fixated on, you know, counting calories and all this other stuff. They want to, you know, everyone wants to lose weight. And, but the process to recover appropriately from stress or exercise or just being physically active um, requires some sort of fuel to power that the body doesn't just do that on its own. If it did, then we wouldn't have to eat. It would just create its own energy. Mm. Um, so consistently under eating actually has serious negative effects, uh, including things like, um, the inability to recover both physically and mentally. If you've ever had a day where you woke up and you're super groggy you know, you, you can't really remember things very well. You're having trouble focusing. A lot of times that's a mixture. It, it, it essentially comes back to not being able to recover, whether it was a mix of not sleeping very well the night before and or not giving your body fuel to power these processes, hmm. even something simple as mental processes. Um, so food is huge. And food selection is a really important part of this. To your point, everywhere you go now, things are, I mean, everything has something that you can't pronounce in it, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or two or three of those. Things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's usually a bad thing, right? Um, the really hard part I think about this is that um, in our current society, uh, depending on you know where you fall on the economic spectrum, the scariest thing about this is that we all know that preservatives and additives are are not good. I mean, they're not natural. Some of them claim to be, you know, sort of it's okay. The body will process it out or whatever. Um, and others, we they just haven't been on the market long enough for us to know what the side effects are. But almost all of those ingredients that we need to be cautious of tend to be in the food options that are the least expensive. It is much more short-term cost-effective to eat bad food because you can get a lot more of it for a lot less dollars. Now, I say short-term because if you think about it, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that forethought to think about this, if you want to save money and know that you need to eat, you can do that by only eating McDonald's from now until the end of the year, and you probably will save some money until the medical bill calls because you have, you know, full your all, all of your arteries are clogged and you have gastro digestional problems right because you've been eating all the stuff that you shouldn't so it's a short-term fix but causes long-term problems um so what we always recommend to people is i, I try and tell people to that they probably need to eat more than they think um and that the best option, if you can, is if when you go out and you pick food, our rule is try and keep it to five ingredients or less. Hmm. It's a kind of a losing battle because there's a good chance that at least one of those ingredients is going to be something that has like eight X's and four Z's in it, right? <laughs> Some bizarre name. But if you can at least keep it the ingredient list to five, then you can better assess what it is that you're putting in your body, right? It may be processed, but if it's processed with five things and four of them are things that you recognize, you you're you have a better chance of looking at it and say, but I don't like those four things. Or, no, that's okay. Those four things happen to be a vegetable, a different vegetable, a fruit, and so, so, something that I know. Mm-hmm. In which case, we usually say, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Me and my partner kind of went the route of just making it ourselves. So last night she made um, bread Mm. and it's so good. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like, I like the idea that if you have time to be able to kind of step out of the system, don't buy into the consumerism and instead like make stuff yourself. But I do think the same thing with food access and stuff like that. It really depends on where you live. Um, like if you're a single parent, yeah. then finding the time to make a meal, even if it's quick, or the energy to make a meal is hard. Yeah, and so system and resources. And right. And I used to live in this area of Columbus, King Lincoln, and yeah. they've made it a food desert out there. Like there's mm-hmm. a Wendy's and that's it. Yeah. And like gas station food. So yep. Even if you're just like home late at night and you're like, oh, crap, I didn't eat enough today. Maybe I should go grab something real quick. It's like, do you want chips or do you want a hot dog that's been baking for <laughs> for, for 14 hours? Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or let's be realistic, like a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. just to say like, yeah, I think 
yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And also GMO foods. GMO foods are connected to like more of an autistic response to some things. Um, like just the chemicals you're eating Roundup, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Well, yeah, and just how it all ties in together and says this is what's going to support a good mental health process. They're so interlinked and intertwined. Yeah, and we, I mean, again, the information is out there. We know of key food products that actually help with cognitive ability and brain function. They tend to all be, because of the way the body works, they tend to all be naturally occurring fats. So things like uh, mixed nuts, avocados, um, fish oil. So any kind of fish, or if you really can't stomach eating fish, you can do fish oil pills. And those are just a supplement you can buy at like any Mm -hmm. Kroger, Giant Eagle, any grocery store. Okay, so uh, yeah, we're reaching the end of our time, and um, I just wanted to uh, well, thank you for being here. Thank for you, sure. guys. And um, I'd encourage you if you had any thoughts about this interview, if um, you want more tips or how to find Eric, then feel free to email us. We'll put out some information too, but at communityroots.pod at gmail.com. Uh, also, a lot of our big news and information and material come out on Instagram and Facebook. So check us out on Facebook by searching community roots podcast or by going to Instagram at community roots.pod. And, um, I think we learned this week, iTunes is one of the like biggest places. So just, if you have an opportunity to just rate and review us on there and, um, looking forward to being able to share some of that feedback that you guys share with us um, on air. Yeah, and we normally end each episode with some thank yous or some shout outs. So I am actually gonna shout out my partner, Connie, because she made some awesome bread and I'm excited to go Mm. home soup and bread. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, But also uh, my mom, uh, we're definitely thinking about Adrienne Johnson right now and um, she'll be back next time, next off the beaten path, but we're just reaching out and supporting her right now. Yeah. Just a shout out to our families, you know, the journey and just your willingness to um, spend some time with us, Eric. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I guess my shout outs would be to both of you for letting me come in and talk. And then same thing, my support group, my mother and father, uh, Bear and Liz, my business partner, uh, they've all been, they're always around in my corner when I need them, which is all you can really ask for yeah we talk about that in community like that type and then everybody like it okay so check us out next week we'll be back to the regular community roots and uh, we'll talk to you then oh my gosh you are so good oh my gosh